you know, yeah, the transfer window has been crazy this year. Um, we got a lot of things to talk about. Um, and, of course, we have a very special guest tonight back um, where it all began, Cannon Snakes in the Olympic Go, a special episode. Welcome, Danielle. Oh, what up, fam? Oh, all right, so I guess I'll start. Um, you bet this bring back Paul Pogba. Uh, Elliot, everybody's laughing already. This is not nice. That's not very nice. Elliot said from the beginning it was a terrible signing. Well, you may be right because he's going to be getting paid eight million euros just to be sitting at home watching TV, drink some beers, uh, eating potato chips, um, injured for five months. Uh, how does this affect the Champions League race, if at all? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't know because we we didn't know for certain what uh, version of um, Paul Pogba we were going to get. But him not being there is a problem because at least I think he would have been impactful in some way. You can talk about what he would have brought to the locker room, whether it would have been a toxic situation or or not, or potentially a toxic situation that could have been a bad thing for, for Juventus and their long-term ambitions. But their midfield is their weakest link. And, well, yeah, probably now because – because they they got their they got a center back in, but but their midfielders the weakest link, and I know they have quality with McKinney and Locatelli and Zacharia, but if you look at some of the other teams that are going to be fighting for the Champions League uh, outside of Napoli, they have good midfield uh, um, pieces there. So Pogba not being there is a big miss, and they don't have that much depth in that position. Um, but does it really affect the Champions League race? Like. Would this be something that prevents Juventus from getting in? I don't think so, because they still have Valovic, Chiesa, and Di Maria. And that front three, is, I think, is dangerous. And I think they have other, they have more depth up top than they do anywhere else. And so they're going to score the goals. They got a donkey coach. But I don't think this is so such of a miss that um, – that you know the thing collapses. I mean, it's it's a bad look because they lose the Bala and uh, Giolini, and then they sign Pogba, give him give him the most money, and then he gets injured. But will it directly impact the the race? I don't know, but I, I think it may be slight impact short term, but long term, I still think Juventus are a Champions League team. And I stand corrected. I forget Pogba does not drink, so he will be sitting at home drinking some pop and eating potato chips, or sitting on the sideline, whatever it is. (laughs) Case maybe. Yeah, but Danielle, what is your thoughts on this? And I'm going to go back to the point Elliot just made after you after you finish. But what are your thoughts on Pogba not being there? I mean, obviously, me and Elliot have been having this discussion for several weeks on our. Newly titled Deutschland Cultural Podcast. Um, we, I mean, I was not f- for this thing because Elliot and I know I use, I call him up and down like a yo yo mama. And it's like back and forth, Man United, Juventus, Man United, Juventus. And it's just like, it's like either stay there and retire there, or if you're going to go to another club after this, don't go back to Man United because. Seriously, it's like you're going from your husband, your wife, all the way down to your side hoe, if you if that makes sense. And it's like it's just it's just like it's pointless. So, and obviously, we had det- we had a discussion that it would obviously it would depend on what Paul Pogba we got. Would we get the Paul Pogba who would work as a team player and help the team succeed? Or would he eventually revert into sometimes being that stubborn bitch we all know and see from him occasionally? So, but now that he's out of the picture, it just shows that this signing was actually like not a really good idea because now he's injured, going to be out for five months or more, depending on the severity. Um, and so, in the long run, it just was—it's just a bad was a bad idea and. Do I feel sorry he's injured? Yes, because I don't wish injury on anybody. 
but it's just an it's but does Juventus suffer? No, because you got Vlavic, Chiesa, and a whole entire solid squad that have worked well in the past and know what needs to be done to get in the Champions League. So they have a lot of quality and depth already on the Juventus squad. So there should be no issues with them this upcoming season. So, I mean, but in real, in hindsight, it was just terrible to see them constantly go back and forth. So, I mean, it is what it is at this point. Can I say one thing, Ryan, before you take over? I want to I want to respond to something you just said. All so, right. yes, we agree. It's not a great idea or it wasn't a smart thing. He'd go back and forth, back and forth. But he's already there. The injury is misfortunate, but we any I have I have my uh, reservations about the signing. But you, we can't call it a bad signing just because he got injured. If he comes back in five months and has I don't know ten goals, eight assists, and Juventus are, are charging up the table, I think you can still say it's a good it's a good signing. So I, I I don't think we can definitively say this was a bad signing until we actually see him on the field doing whether it's good or bad to see what is that. So I just want to touch on that. I think it's a little unfair to call it a bad signing without any sort of data to suggest uh, without, without actually seeing him and seeing him uh, perform. If he performs badly, we can call him a bad sign. We can write it off as whatever, but until we actually see him perform, um, I don't think it's, again, you're paying 8 million for something that got injured, but it's not his fault. He got injured, et cetera, et cetera. But I just want to say, uh, I think we should hold off calling it a bad signing until we actually see what he does on the field. That's a, that, that, that's the only thing I want to say. Fair enough. Um, now I'm going to get to your point, Elliot. And, you know, say what you want. You can't call Allegri a donkey, though. And I'll explain why. The man, one, literally guided Juventus to multiple league titles, guided him with his amazing tactics, made several finals of the Champions League, I mean, I know he may not be doing good now, but how can you call him a donkey? A current donkey. Not not a donkey. And Peak Allegri is excellent, but I don't know if he's a top eight, top ten coach in the league anymore. So that I'm saying currently I don't have confidence. Basically what I'm saying is I don't have confidence in Juventus doing what, they're, what they're, they, they look to do because I don't trust the manager that is the one leading the ship. That's all I'm saying. Donkey might not have been the, the a good word to use, but but I, I don't trust Allegri um, with the Juventus team that is currently uh, that they currently have right now. That's all I'm saying. All right, Danielle, this is for you, and this is why I had you on the show. Inter have had now, granted they lost the title last year, but Inter have had two pretty good seasons in a row. You win Scudetto, and then you, last um, last year you won the Coppa Italia, so two trophies in back to back years. Everything's on the up and up. Um, however, I don't think we've seen Inter all the way through. My opinion is is that at some point they got to win the double to certify themselves as a, you know, elite, elite squad in terms of world football. Do you think Inter's close to winning the double? A double, whether it be Copa Italia, the league, Copa, you know, the league, Champions League, any any version of the two. What are your thoughts? I actually would agree with that. Um, I think that a double would really solidify that success, whether it's Champions League and Copa Italia, Champions League and the Scudetto or Scudetto and the Copa Italia. Obviously, for me, realistically right now, I based on the depth, I mean, Inter in the league itself have great depth, but compared to some of the other squads that are out there. Realistically, the better bet would be the Scudetto and the Copa Italia, and maybe just maybe a decent push in the Champions League. But the problem in the Champions League is that Elliot did touch up on this point, so he gets credit for saying this, that when it comes to the Champions League compared to other teams, the depth isn't as strong. So that would be the the pivotal point it going in further down the line, like say if they make it to the, um, oh, I'm going to go hypothetical quarterfinals. And then they face like a team such as Bayern, obviously, I don't know how that's going to, that's probably not going to happen. But I mean, you look at the quality that Bayern has and the success that they've had within the champions league and the Bundesliga compared to what Inter 
past few seasons, Bayern are definitely miles ahead, especially in regards to that depth factor. So, I mean, but realistically, the goals for Inter should be Scudetto, Copa Italia, and then if they're able to make a good push in the Champions League, good. But if not, at least we're working on that double within the league itself. So, But can I say, wouldn't you be disappointed if you guys failed to make it past the round of 16 this year? Say that it would be a disappointment because we worked so hard to get out of the finally after four, three or four seasons of just, I think it was like three seasons with just getting eliminated in the group stages. And then we finally made it into the round of 16 last year. This year, I kind of want to at least move past the round of 16, even if it's just one step at a time that tournament. I mean, it would be to me. It would be a little disappointing, but like I said, I would still be happy even if we made it out of the group stage. It maybe made a push, and like really fought until the end in the round of sixteen. But yeah, I would kind of would be a little disappointed if it didn't make it further. All right. So, what is your expectation for Inter next year? Scudetto, Copa, and at least the quarterfinals of the Champions League. All right, very good. Elliot, what should Inter's expectations be next year? Semi-final and the league. Um, I think, I, I think we're, what we're not realizing here is the Copa Italia is going to be more difficult than, than pr- practically anything they have this season. And I know in the, um, in the Champions League, you have teams like Bayern, Real Madrid, Liverpool. But look, if you look in the league and you look in what the – what the top seven or eight teams have in the attacking um, part of the game, there's, there's, there's ballers across the board. So, you know, you won the, the chain, the, 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 sorry, you won the Copa Italia last year um, and it was, it was well-deserved. However, um, it, there's certain circumstances of, of they, they perform, they, they beat breaks off Milan, et cetera, et cetera. But Juventus didn't have a Cristiano Ronaldo, someone who's done this and, and done it again and again and again prior to that because he had left. Had he been there, maybe the, the story is different, but they won They won the, the Copa Tally. They deserve to do it. But you look what... what but you uh, in front of you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all I'm saying is, I'm, all the reason I'm bringing that up is because the road to the final of the Copa Tally will be more difficult. It will be substantially more difficult next season because, let's see, Lazio, Fiorentina, Roma, Inter... And Napoli all have top strikers. If if AC Milan are able to get a striker, they'll have a top striker. Alanta has a top striker. So in the attacking part of it, there, I think it will be more difficult because all the teams that Inter still have the best team overall. But I think they're going to win the league. And I think that the, the other the other teams with these top guys in the Copa Italia will be more motivated to do it than Inter. That, that's just the way I would see it. If Inter goes on to have a great season in the league, which I expect them to do, I think getting the Copa Italia is going to be more complicated because of some of the other teams and how they have upgraded. So we'll see. But I think Copa Italia is going to be a little bit more difficult than making a quarterfinals of the Champions League. Because the fact of the matter is starting 11 and depth, they're up there with, with the very best. So they're starting 11 alone unless they get matched up with a super team early. They have there's – an, there's a pathway to get to the quarterfinals or the semifinals. You need to win – you need to beat one team to make the quarterfinals if you get out of the group. And then then it's it's for grabs. I think the Champions League route to the semifinal, I think, is a little bit – it will be a little less challenging than what – some of the other teams in the Copa Italia will be able to do against Inter because the pressure that Inter will have on themselves will be to win the league. And I think that the, the other types of teams will be more motivated to, to get the Copa Italia than potentially Inter because Inter will be focusing on the league. But I'm, I'm not saying Inter can't win. I'm just saying it's, it could be more difficult to win the Copa Italia this year than it was last year. And with the Champions League wanting to push themselves forward, I think uh, uh, it would just. It, I think it's just a little bit more uh, difficult than uh, than it would be for um, for so on. All right, very good. Back to you, Elliot. Roma Sorry. obviously got the biggest. Back to you. 
okay. no matter what the English plots uh, say, Rolf obviously had a very good um, offseason. You got Paul DeBala for crying out loud. Um, who is an elite player, by the way? He's much better than, than decent or average or whatever the hell they want to say. Um, obviously, great expectations with Jose Mourinho. Um, can you guys win the Europa League to shut all these people up? Um, yeah, I think we can. Uh, Gini Wijnaldum seems to be a, like a step away from running Roma. That solves again. We'll, we'll need to get another midfielder at some point, but that solves the their uh, mid the midfield issue at least temporarily. Because um, I think you put, I think I think Pellegrini probably is going to put play higher up, so more of like an attacker. So the midfield would be either Cristante Wijnaldum or Matic Wijnaldum. And I think with with that acquisition, I think the midfield is no longer a, a significant weakness. And defensively, I think Roma are pretty strong. They don't have big names, um, but they're strong with the, with their you know their back three or back five. However, they play it. They have they have so much depth on the in the wing back positions, and they have to me the best goalkeeper in the league. So defensively, I think they're strong in the midfield. I still need some work, but with Genie. I think it, it, it helps it a lot. And then the attack, we could we could see historic numbers potentially with what Roma can 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 do with what they have in the starting eleven and what they can ha- bring off the bench um, and so on and so forth. And there's certain things have not been figured out yet and, and the, the transfer window still open. People can leave, people can come in. Um, but I think I think they should be one of the favorites for the Europa League and Mourinho being in charge of this team is another kind of thing in the momentum of Roma just because he's done it before. He, he can do it again. He won the, he won a trophy last year. And I think, um, yes, the Europa league will be more difficult, but I actually don't think there's a large gap in quality between the teams in the Europa league and the, and the, um, conference league. I'm, I'm and I'm talking like, uh, knockout stage and, and forward, but like there'll be group stage teams that are, that are, that are rubbish or we haven't heard of. But not like if you look at the knockout stage from from the conference league in Europa League, the quality of the teams aren't miles apart. So I think they're they're Roma are capable of of going on a run in that competition and potentially winning it. He's won it before. Actually, he's won it twice. Um, the Europa League. So I think Roma have the team to do it, and there'll be some challenging teams in in that competition, no doubt. But I think Roma should have a lot of optimism about the possibility of of going forward uh, in that competition and, and potentially winning another trophy. Danielle, what are your thoughts on Ro- on uh, Roma's chances this year? And do you – actually, I'll go – not the Europa League. Do you feel threatened – are you actually nervous about these matches against Roma this year because they drastically improved? I am uh, – I actually am going to be honest. Yeah, I'm a little bit scared of Roma right now because they continue – uh, obviously, there are some teams that have massively downgraded. I'm not mentioning team names, but um, yeah, but a lot of your teams in Syria and even across the other leagues have massively stepped up, and Roma being one of them. I mean, they just signed Dabala, which is huge. And if the it, it depends depending on what Dabala we get, if he stays healthy, he is a absolute beast. And if the amount of, and then of course you had a player that was brought in last year, Tammy Abraham. He's just going to, can can't even talk right now. Fuck me. But anyway, um, he's going to continue to put behind those, those numbers. And I mean, just the way that, they're building this squad. Obviously, the midfield is kind of one of the areas that needs a little bit more of the work, like Elliot just stated. But overall, their team is becoming a fortress. And I think going up against them, I'm I'm actually nervous. But, I mean, Inter, if, they, if they're on a good day, should be able to handle Roma. But if Roma catches Inter sleeping... It could prove like detrimental for Inter, but um, in regards to like their chances, I actually see them making a push possibly for the title. And if anything, 
they'll finish in a Europa League spot, but I'm actually going to say that they finish in the Champions League for the first time in several years because the quality that they have, the the way that Jose Mourinho is able to work with his team, I mean, he just, I mean, you look at the success Jose Mourinho has had in the past. I mean, there should be no issue of why they cannot make it into the Champions League picture because their squad is becoming huge, just like Inter. And then you have, I mean, if AC Milan gets that striker, which I'm still praying to God that they don't, uh, they're going to be massive. I mean, just the quality within the league this year is huge, and it's going to be very close with some of the teams this season. All right, very good. So, now to switch from Serie A a little bit. Um, how – answer me this. How is Barcelona affording this massive window? Because they're Barcelona, and it doesn't matter what rules they break. It doesn't matter. Uh, this doesn't matter. I mean, look, if this was anybody else, transfer ban, fines. I mean, they, they can't do this. It's not legal. Um, I wish to, to, I just wish one of their players would step out and say, this is unacceptable. We can't be spent. We can't be doing this or somebody or someone leave, asking to leave for, for those reasons. We need somebody inside Barcelona to speak out against what's happening because it, you know, you know, I've seen Man City do this. I've seen PSG do this, but it's Man City and PSG. They don't have any Champions Leagues, you know. They're they're not. They don't have the the allure of Barcelona. Barcelona is used to be one of the most respected clubs in the world. the The principles, the philosophy of Cruyff, and and even before that, and everything they stood for, they're not going against. Um, and not only that, they're treating their players very poorly, saying if you don't leave, I'm going to play you in this position that you're not. Like Frankie De Jong having to play center back. He's not a center back. There's nothing about his game that's a center back. So they're willing to sabotage themselves just so he can he, he can leave. And I, I just they they're not allowed to do this. They, this they don't have this money. They're gonna they're gonna liquidate if they they can't even register their players if Frankie Dijon doesn't leave. They ran out of W's at the Barcelona team store because they can't afford to put two two W's on the end of Lewandowski's jersey. I mean. It is immoral. It's pathetic. It's embarrassing. I, I, I don't know. I'm out of words. And again, from a football point of view, it's going to be exciting. They're going to be a fun team to watch, and El Clasico is going to be crazy. But from a from just like a human aspect of it, it's 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 embarrassing. And and even Barcelona fans should start to see what's happening and and speak out because I don't know. I I just think it's it's a it's a total mess. What a farce, Danielle. What are your thoughts on Barcelona? Yeah, I'm like I. I mean, there's really not much left to say with the ex- with exactly. Elliot hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's like if this was any other club outside, it would be like transfer bans, or you would be required to sell a certain amount of players to make up some of that income before you could spend again. I mean, it's like there's one set of rules for Barcelona and then there's a set of rules for everybody else. And it just needs to stop because this is unfair to the teams who wish they could do what Barcelona is is doing. But, oh, you're not Barcelona. We're going to just say, screw you guys. You got a transfer ban while they can continue to get players when they have no money coming in. It, it it's absolutely egregious, as you would say, with what's going on within the club. And I agree, somebody needs to step out and say, "Hey, enough is enough. This is is not fair to the other clubs who would wish we weren't in their scenario." You can't even afford W's for Lewandowski's kit. You shouldn't be spending money to begin with that you don't have. I mean, it it's just a messed up situation, and I hope karma bites them in the ass for it. Do you think, um, Elliot, do you think this could get as big as uh, he went to scandal in 2006? Potentially. I mean, I don't think that. So the event is scandal in 2006. There is cheating involved, proven cheating. There's 
there's dark stories within what happened in that situation. There's a Netflix documentary about cheating in sports uh, that they're one of the episodes. Um, this is financial. Um, f- f- I don't even know the flagrancy. Well, couldn't this also um, consider cheating? Because they're spending not, money they don't have. Yeah, that's true. Not in the same way as the Juventus thing. And again, Juventus fans claim that this is this was total BS and no one and and this they're they're totally innocent in this and they never should have got this and never should have got that. But but there was cheating. There was people being locked in rooms. Uh, there was there was. I mean, one of the people in charge of them, uh, or people, so the people making these these decisions at Juventus, it was, it's a different level. I get what you're saying. It is technically cheating because Barcelona are spending money that they don't have. They're still paying off Neymar. They're still paying off Coutinho. They're still paying off uh, um, Paulinho. They're still paying off many players. They owe Frankie Dazon seventeen million. They don't have. So they can't give him a 17 million, but they can spend 50 on Conde, 50 on Lewandowski, 45 on Rafinha. And then they have all the free transfers, Cassie, Christensen, and, and the like. Now, I have no problem. They should have banned. It should have been a transfer ban, but they should. Have, I, I have no problem with them signing the, the free transfers that they made. Because when you when you have a, a transfer ban, you still I believe you can still negotiate on free deals. So that's part of it, but but the amount of money that they're spending, I think this this could be a circus if if the right people step up and and, and pers- or pursue uh, Barcelona. And I believe within two years um, they're going to be so much in debt they won't be able to sign anybody. They won't be able to keep anyone. Pedri, okay, I'm gonna ma- I'm gonna make a prediction. Pedri, uh, Fatsi, and Gavi. Two of them will be gone in three years because of financial situations. So what they're doing is they're bankrupting themselves and they're going to lose their two brightest talents in this team. That's just my prediction. I could be wrong. They could let Barcelona continue to get away with this, but they're, they're going to lose Fati and Pedri and Gavi. They'll, they'll lose at least one of those guys, probably two in the next couple of years because of the financial uh, situation that they continue to put themselves into. All right. Um, very sad situation. Cristiano Ronaldo, another sad situation. Danielle, he gets his way and goes to Man United. And now he whines and wants to leave and go to Sporting Club. You know, I, I still respect the man. He's one of the greatest players of all time. But whether or not he whines has nothing to do with it. I mean, we, we love LeBron and no offense, LeBron can whine more than probably any athlete ever exist, but we could we still consider him one of the aliens of professional basketball. Danielle, does this put a damper on Ronaldo's legacy, though, for you? For me, he can whine like a little bitch, but at the end of the day, numbers and what he's done within the sport of football speaks for itself. Does it put a damper on his legacy? No, in my opinion. Because, I mean, he already cemented his legacy with Real Madrid, Obviously, at Sporting Club, I think that was a club he started with. So, I mean, he's a club legend there. He is, I mean, he did, I mean, he. to me, the, his time at Juventus was, it wasn't the greatest, but it was still there. Obviously, the success he had with Manchester United both times has is huge. I mean, there's, I mean, he complained, but at the end of the day, his success speaks for itself, and if he wants to go to another club, just let. Bye, Felicia. Wait, hold on. Why would why would Man United do that though when they don't have another option? Well, I'm just gonna say it. If you're in a normal working company and you're the one person, the whole entire team. You kind of get sick of that bullshit, and you're like, get me out of here and let them suffer. And what the hell was that? I just heard something. Yeah, but it's a normal person company you can quit. Man- Manchester United and Ronaldo have a contract. If Man United doesn't want to suck next season, and I get there's there's this big debate whether it's good or bad for Man United, but from Man United's perspective, unless they get a great offer or a solution to the striker issue – I just don't see them allowing this to happen. That's all I'm saying. 
Yeah, I don't see it happening either, but, I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, if he wants to go, just let him go because he'll just continue to complain until he's that you'd say, okay, get out of here. We're sick and tired of your complaints. I'll say this, though. Man United fans have the audacity to boo them. Then I hope they get relegated past League Two. I mean, well, this yeah. is this is your probably probably Cantona or Roy Keane, but he's or and George Best, but he's on the Mount Rushmore of Man United players. And I mean, I swear, if they treat him any disrespect or boo him coming out, I hope they get relegated and go and liquidate because. No matter what you say, he's still an all-time United legend. But, Elliot, do you think he's acting a little bit ridiculous? Well, yeah, but I'm not surprised. This is what I constantly say. when You know, Ronaldo was always telling everybody that he's the greatest of all time. Do you know – so I, I just feel like this is just his personality. And it's, the, it's the victim or consequences of it, and – and there are there are athletes like him around the world that are the, one of the, uh, the greatest of the craft. Um, I think I think LeBron is the goat in basketball. I think Ronaldo is one of the goats, not the goat. But my issue with Ronaldo from a personality standpoint is he's always telling everybody he's the greatest. If you feel the need to tell everyone how great you are, then you're probably not. I've never heard Messi say I am the greatest. So I think subconsciously he feels threatened by Messi. Because deep down in his soul, he knows that Messi is the GOAT. And he de- that doesn't sit well with him. Because if you're, if you're comfortable in your, your position and you believe you're the greatest of all time in, in actuality, you're not going to constantly tell people that you are. And the, the, the debates between me and someone else are, aren't relevant. So I don't like this behavior. I think – we talked about this before. He knew the environment he was going into. So if you if I'm Man United, too bad. You knew what the situation was. You still came. You left a better situation in Juventus, somewhere where you could actually have done some stuff last year and win some things. And you came to Man United. It was your choice. It was your decision. You decided to, to run this whole muck and and say it after the first game, prior to the first game of the season, when Juventus are trying to to put themselves in good position the next season after losing the title is you, you say you want out. Not three months before the season, not two months before the season, like a week before the season starts, basically putting Juventus in a situation like, okay, what are we going to do now? The season's already started. We don't have a striker. We're in trouble. So they had to go get Moise Keane, who was not good last year, and eventually in January, they get Vladovich, they do well, they finish in the top four, everything works itself out. But Ronaldo, Ronaldo's behavior does not surprise me. That doesn't make me dislike him any less or more than I did before. He's still one of the goats. But if, if you're asking me, is his, is his complaining and his demands a surprise? No. But for the first time, there is not a route for Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo to go. The other Premier League option was Chelsea. They're, they're, they're not interested. It's been come out. Bayern has rejected him with, with class. Four different times. Simply not happening. And then you look around. You know, Barcelona obviously aren't going to sign them. Real Madrid probably aren't taking him back. So, Ronaldo, as great as he is, he doesn't have a lot of options. Yeah, and this is like – he obviously doesn't want to play in the Europa League. But, I mean, wouldn't it mean something to his legacy if he stays this year at Man United – Leads into leads into an FA Cup or Europa League victory, and the top four, and then leaves. Yeah, if he wants a great legacy, this is what he needs to do. He needs to bring Man United back to a point where they're no longer a laughing stock. Where it's like in the in the following season, the thing you know what Man United might turn it around this time. They they're looking promising. He needs to take them to where they are now, which is a joke, to a team on the rise. And then when they're rising, then he can then he can leave after his contract is over or leave next year and go back to Portugal and, and finish where he started if he wants. Um, but that's what he should do. He's, he's talk. He's, he's an ambitious person. He's someone that, that claims he, he loves new challenges. He, he went to Juventus. That was not a challenge. The three years before he got there were better than the three years he was when he was there. 
look what the ha- what happened to them in the Champions League before and after, and look at the, the the squad quality before and after. So that wasn't a challenge he claimed it to be. He says he wanted a challenge when he went to Juventus. The actual challenge is the one that he's in right now. If he really is is motivated by a challenge, he's sitting in one right now. And if, if that's what he if he means what he says, he should stay there, bring them back to some level, win something, end end the trophy drought, get them back, get him on the cusp of Champions League football, or qualify for the Champions League or whatever the case may be, and then leave uh, knowing that you you um, rehabilitated uh, Man United before you left. So that's what I think he should do. But if he leaves, if he leaves, he leaves. I, I can't control that. Man United probably aren't going to go for that because the season starts next week. So it's it's really going to be interesting how this unfolds. But I think they should they should stay. I think he should stay because it will be the biggest challenge of his career. All right. So Danielle, now it's time to for you. Once again, we're going to talk about your rivals in the same stadium. Oh, um, good grief. Here we go again. Well, I'm not talking about that. Well, I may turn red last year, but it was interesting. Both their strikers are 35 or above. And Oliver Drood, Olivier Drood, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, what do you make of them this year? Because I don't – I see them as top four because I think they got the depth there. Um, I think their coach is still an absolute clown. Um, I think they got good mid- midfield and good defense, but w- what do you make of them? Like, are they a serious title challenge again this year, or are they just going to be in the top four and lucky to make it out of the group stages of the Champions League? I think for them, they'll still kind of they'll still be in the title picture, depending on if if they're able to get a striker. Because I mean, if you look at things realistically. They're, they only have two real strikers, and that's Olivier Giroud and, of course, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And then I think maybe one other one that is not – like, he's hit or miss. Like, sometimes he plays good. Other times he isn't playing consistently. Olivier Giroud, I mean, he saved AC Milan a, a lot of times last year, so you can kind of count on him a little bit. But obviously, he's getting older and isn't performing to the level that he was years ago. But he still has those moments where he comes through, as they say, in the clutch. And then, of course, you have old man Zlatan, who is injured, but they're keeping him on. Just probably has, for the locker room aesthetics and to give that winning mentality to the rest of the team. So I still think they'll be in the title picture because, I mean, even if you don't have a good quality striker... You can have a team that could score goals from multiple players on the midfield and also on the defense as well. You could see some good numbers from the, the defense in that area when it's needed. So, I mean, if they need those goals, they can rely on other people to help get the goals needed to get those crucial points, especially down the stretch. So, I still think they'll be in the title race, but... It'll be, but down the line, though, I think it may fizzle out because just the depth when it comes to not having a good key quality striker would probably bite them in the butt. But I still, like I said, their team, but in the Champions League regard, I think they'll struggle a little bit based on the depth and the quality of some of the other teams out there. All right, Elliot, what is your take on AC Milan going in this season? Um. Again, Daniel said it. It's a striker thing. Um, their midfield is good. I think it's solid. I like I like Tenali a lot. I like um, I like Benesser, but they needed somebody. They needed a more attacking midfielder as well. They lost Frank Kessie. Their number one target. They spent most of the summer trying to get is not consigned for them. It looks like like Renato Sanchez is going to PSG. Um, their their striker. They've been pursuing. They continue to pursue him, and they're not pursuing anybody else when. Club Bruce has made very clear what their asking price is. And, uh, you know, Milan is still flirting around it. They're going to give one more offer, and then I don't think he's going to happen. Um, again, the, the, the player that they're after has not been included and in, wasn't included in the opening uh, match day for, for, for uh, Bruce, but 
it doesn't seem they're going to reach the validation that they request. Um, so they need to they need to look somewhere else. I mean, as much as Origi can come up in big moments, he's not someone who's going to give him the appropriate amount of goals needed. Um, the midfield solid, but they needed they needed another midfielder. Um, defensively, they're they're ex- excellent, excellent goalkeeper. There's they're excellent, but they've signed no one this summer. The season starts in like oh, two weeks. They haven't signed anybody, so I think that's a real problem. And again, I don't think I th- I disagree with Daniel. I do not think they'll be in a title race this season at any point. Maybe the beginning of the season. I th- actually think it's if if Fiorentina gets. Uh, um, uh, Frankfurt um, form Jovic, I, I say Fiorentina are a dark horse team to potentially make the Champions League. And if one team was going to fall out of the of the top four, I think it would be AC Milan because Inter is not going to fall out because uh, their their depth they're too good. Their starting love is amazing. I think Roma's attack alone is is good enough to keep them in there. Um, definitely a Champions League team. And then you look at uh, Milan who missed some stuff, but, but still have quality in certain areas, but Juventus is attack Pogba or not is, is excellent. And even though I don't rate the coach, uh, they made a great signing of Bremen as well. So they, they lost some pieces, but they, they, they've spent very quickly. Uh, they got a youngster who I think finally is going to come into the team this season. Uh, Nicola Rovella, who I think is, is a really good talent. They got Cambiaso from, uh, Genoa, so they've just spent very well this summer, and I, I can't see them not making the Champions League. Where if Milan doesn't sign a striker, I don't think they can they can make the Champions League. But if they do, I, totally totally different position, and they definitely in the Champions League, um, and maybe even pushing for a title if they sign a striker. Though if they if they're unable to do so, uh, and I'm talking about a striker that can get me 15 to 20, um, if they're unable to do so, I think they're going to struggle. Personally, I think. Milan and Napoli are the two teams that I think are going to have a, a very difficult season among the the uh, the teams in question. Very good. Um, now across the other side of town, um, or your town, Elliot, SS Lazio. Um, you know, they're a middling squad. They still got Chiro Mobley. Um, are they even like a contender for the Champions League this year? Not a chance. And okay, I don't say it with respect. Uh, not a chance. I think Immobile needs to be. God, it's hard. It's hard to, to really, you know, even if he goes into, he takes it up a level. It's hard to imagine it changing because last year he ranked number one in every category as a striker. He had 27 goals in the league. He won the Golden Boot. I think he had like 35 plus in all competitions. He, he scored big goals. He bailed them out repeatedly, and they finished sixth or fifth. I think, yeah, they, they, they finished fifth. So it's hard for me to imagine, even if a Mobley is at his, his top gear, that they can do it. I know they brought in Marcus Antonio. They brought in a good goalkeeper. But this, this Lazio team, I think, is, is a bit off. They're, they're having trouble selling uh, season tickets. So I think they're they're in could be in for a disastrous season, but I don't think they, they I don't think a lot of people have them as high high finishers anyways. I could still see them finishing fifth sixth, but I, I think it's difficult because you think of Alanta's going through some things, but they they've done well this summer. Um, you look at what Fiorentina's done. You look at uh, you know some of the other teams, Napoli, Napoli, and 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 Lazio. Um, I think. Napoli probably still a little better than Lazio. Um, so it's, it's really difficult to see what's going to go. I'd like, I'd like to be in a situation where Roma are good and Lazio are good at the same time because that would take the satisfyingness of finishing ahead of them more, more enjoyable for me. But I, I just don't see them under Sarri. Not, not, Sarri's a good coach. It's not his fault. I just think over, the overall strength of the team isn't, um, isn't, isn't great. And unless they make a huge move at the end of the window, I think it's it's hard to imagine them even challenging for the for the Champions League in a real way. And yeah, what's your thoughts on Lazio? Um, yeah, Elliot just hit the nail on the head again. But I mean, they have Ariel Mobile who continues to put out big numbers, especially when it matters the most. 
but without with they just lack a lot of the depth that Roma has and a lot of the other teams. Um, I I mean Napoli I still think is a little bit more ahead than Lazio as well, but just by a smidge because Napoli has been struggling lately. I mean, they lost a couple of their key pieces, I think, as well. So, it's, I mean, if anything, those two, I think, will be fairly close. And I think both of them will be, they'll still compete in a Euro, a row Europa, for Europa League spot, but that's as far as it will go. I mean, Lazio and Napoli will struggle in regards to getting into the Champions League. But, I mean, we'll see how things go if they make a push closer towards the end of the window. But just things like for certain clubs are not looking good at this moment. But obviously, we still have like a month to go before everything is shut and done. But we'll see what happens. All right. Danielle, what makes Florentina so scary this year? Well, we, me and uh, for the longest time, Florentina had always been the team that had always was told. It was so hyped up by I think it was their president, right, Elliot? Just hyped up in general. We don't we don't always have to bring up the president every time we talk about Fiorentina. We've we've done it to death. But you're right. The president talked a lot, but a lot of people hyped them up as a whole as well. So it's not just him. He had unrealistic expectations, but as as a community of Italy, a lot of people have always seen them as underdog mentality until last year, and then obviously we, we know what happened last year when the uh, Italian Italiano came to town. Yeah, so, I mean, when the team was overhyped up, they failed to deliver, but this season they were like, okay, let's see, maybe if we shut these guys up and, like, stop listening to what they're saying about us and just focus on one thing at a time, we'll see what happens. And with them doing that and, like, silencing the critics and silencing out the hype, they were able to focus – of what they needed to do. And we saw them going from a team that we almost had relegated almost every season to a team finishing near the near the European competition picture. I mean, and what's going to make them scarier is if they actually make a couple more crucial settings before the window is closed. Like Elliot said, they could be a dark horse that enters into the Champions League picture just based on what they're building and finally getting into that mentality that if we don't listen to the the fans, we don't listen to our, whoever, and we just focus on what we need to do one match at a time, we can achieve success. And if they're able to do that, along with continuing to b- work on that project that they're building, th- there should be no... It should be no issues of them finishing possibly in the Champions League for the first time in I don't even know how long because I don't know history that well yet. <laughs> All right, Elliot, what makes them scary? Well, I mean, the thing is, you we talk about the the the, the expectations and what people have said and the hype, but that's not why they falter. That's not why they failed. They fail because they made erratic decisions after erratic decision after erratic decision. And I know the president is a is not a not someone I, I like very much. I you know I appreciate his ambition for his club and I appreciate the things he, he that he wants his team to achieve, but he's made some really bad decisions. And so it's not just about he's been running his mouth. It's not just about everybody under thinks they're gonna they're gonna break through. It, it also comes down to all the decisions made prior to that. The minute decisions they made as far as, you know, you look at, look at the situation that they have. They, they look at the, the, the coaches that they've signed. And, you know, it's just last year they hit, uh, they hit the lottery. Vincenzo Italiano was the fourth choice coach for Fiorentina. Their, th- their other three um, potential uh, candidates either faltered uh, hired and quit, or uh, other teams got them. So they ended up landing on Italiano, who kept Spezia up, who were not a good team with not very many good players. Um, he comes into that team, everything changes. The way they play changes. There was consistent. They were able to, for the most part, handle themselves against big teams. 
They had Vladovic falling out, leaves in January, and Fiorentina still play. They still still perform, beat Roma at the end of the season, beat some big teams, and they have finished in the Europa League spot uh, instead of Roma uh, had they not gotten annihilated by Sampdoria. So, Sampdoria, appreciate you. Uh, but, you know, you look at everything they've done, and now they've, they've brought in a striker. They're ambitious. They have a strong team. They're again, maybe not huge names, but but midfield, a solid midfield, Castrovilli, uh, uh, Bonaventura, um, guys like that. And the back line is pretty solid. They, I think they have a new goalkeeper, um, but top to bottom, they look like a strong team. And they can get Jovic going and some of the signings they brought in in January, if they can get on the same page and uh, Nicholas Gonzalez as well. I think they have what it takes to, to do it. And again, I, I have a I have, I have a sense that they're going to have a really great season. Um, I also think Alanta are, are being very uh, thrown under the radar, and I think they could have a great season as well. But but I think if if there was an opportunity to grab a Champions League spot, that it, this is definitely a team that could do it because they have they got the right man in charge finally, and they're a totally different team than they have been in the past couple of years. All right, friends. Before we go, I'm going to ask you both: Who is your donkey of the week this week? Danielle, uh, you I'll know, start with you. Go ahead. Hmm. My donkey of the week. I actually have one, to be honest with you. All right, Elliot, who would yours be then? Um, <laughs> um I'm going to – I'm actually – I. it's easy. The answer is easy. It's Barcelona. But I'm, not, I'm actually going to personalize this. I'm not going to, to just say Barcelona as a whole. I'm going to say Jules Conde, the, the recent center back signing. He is well aware. And obviously, when Lewandowski signed and Rafinha signed, we knew they didn't have money, but it wasn't as much of public knowledge because they hadn't – it was public knowledge, but they hadn't spent all this money already. Lewandowski was already signed. Rafinha was signed, and some other were, were signed as well. Conde knows the situation that Barcelona was going through. He knows – that they don't have any money. He knows they continue to be allowed to spend money. He knows all this. Yet he still signed with them, which means, which to me, I think is a is a um, a black mark on his character. And I, I've always liked Conda. He's still an outstanding defender. They're going to be great, whatever. But I think I'm disappointed in him for making that decision because when when you make that decision after all of this had happened, you know they don't have any, any money. You know all these things that are being said about them that are true. And you know that they're, they're, they're getting away with this. So again, I'm not saying he has to play for Chelsea, but I, I, I'm just disappointed that he made that decision knowing what he knows. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to our episode tonight. Uh, hopefully we can do this all together soon. Um, talk to you all next time. All right. Ciao.